Welcome to Voices of Baby Loss, presented by me, Caroline Verdon. I'm a broadcaster and journalist, and Jen Coates, who is the Director of Bereavement Support and Volunteering at SANS. SANS is a UK-based charity whose purpose is to save babies' lives and support bereaved families. We also aim to give a voice to parents who've been touched by pregnancy and baby loss. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at SANS Charity and on Twitter at SANS UK. Which is also where you can get in touch with us if you'd like to comment on or get involved in the podcast. We are both touched by baby loss and so this topic is really close to our hearts. Coming up on this week's episode. We try to kind of get back to their old self, you know, try to go back to who they were before. And the reality is they'll never be who they were before because they've been changed by this horrible event. And it can really be about sometimes getting to know the new version of yourself, who you are now with all of those broken parts. Welcome to episode four. At the time of recording this, we've just come to the end of Baby Loss Awareness Week, which is an amazing opportunity where we get to come together as a community, anybody who's been touched by pregnancy or baby loss at all, and we get to come together and we get to share our experiences and feel less alone. And there's something really beautiful about that and really comforting. And, you know, perhaps friends and family think about your lost ones and and they text and they remember and they message and they talk. And that's amazing. And that's beautiful. And then once Baby Loss Awareness Week ends and just normal life kicks in again, that can sometimes be quite difficult, as it is with any sort of anniversary or memorial or something that just brings those feelings back up to the surface again, which is why this week what we wanted to do is talk a little bit about well-being and about looking after ourselves, whether that's because we've just had Baby Loss Awareness Week or whether that's because that's just what you need on this particular day or that's just where you are in your grief journey. It's something that we all know that we ought to be doing. It's still something that notoriously we're really bad at. We are terrible at being kind to ourselves and putting ourselves first. No, I think (laughs) it makes me laugh sometimes when I think sometimes well-being is making sure you've drunk enough water in the day (laughs) and uh, or, you know, uh, getting dressed and not doing all your Zoom calls uh, with your pyjama bottoms and a smart shirt on top. But then equally, sometimes well-being is doing those Zoom calls with your pyjama bottoms on the bottom and a smart shirt on the top. It's it's about looking at what you need right at that very moment. Like yesterday, for example, I was not feeling it and I had <laughs> I had a, an important work call to do straight after the school run. And I got up in the morning and I got myself showered and I got the kids ready and I took them to school. And all my friends on the school run thought it was hilarious because I had blow-dried my fringe. Um, but I had tied the rest of my hair back, which was still absolutely soaking wet (laughs) from the front. It looked like I was all coiffured and ready for the day, but in reality, not at all. Um, But I think ultimately, well-being isn't necessarily Instagrammable. We hear a lot about well-being and spa days and, you know, weekend away and all those things are lovely, but really, ultimately, quite often you're not really creating those things as well-being. Quite often you're doing those things as escapes from your life so that you can actually then face getting back to reality. And actually well-being is kind of the opposite. Well-being is trying to create a life for yourself that you don't need to escape from. And it's sometimes not those pretty things. It sometimes just is, as you say, drinking the water. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people, that's really tiny things out of necessity, but also time. So, yeah, just stopping and breathing for 10 seconds and dropping your shoulders 
can make a massive difference and is free. <laughs> it's just remembering to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's free, which is a wonderful thing uh, to be able to say in, in this, yeah. uh, this day and age, isn't it? So we're joined this week by Lucy Livesey, who really understands the importance of well-being, especially when it comes to baby loss, because not only has Lucy been touched by baby loss herself, but she's also a mental health nurse. So Lucy, tell us a little bit about the work that you do. My background is quite varied, really, in relation to the experience that I've had as a nurse. My first role was on a, on a male acute psychiatric ward looking after um gentlemen there with a, with quite acute severe mental illnesses and then I spent some time in the community um and then the 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 last role that I did it was for a home treatment team so it was our role to assess um suicide risk and to keep try and keep people safe and keep them well while they were at home and then what happened is myself and my husband we got pregnant with our first baby and then, unfortunately, we found out that Ellie's heart hadn't formed properly. And um, at just under 24 weeks, we decided to uh, end the pregnancy because we were told that Ellie's condition wasn't something that they would be able to to help with. So what myself and my husband did, we, we delivered Ellie. We actually had a hypnobirth with Ellie, which is um, a technique called around birth relaxation. And even though Ellie had unfortunately passed away before the delivery, it was something that really was an experience that we can reflect back on. Whilst it's difficult to reflect back on, we're able to bring in some really good effective techniques to try and comfort us during that time. And that was through the use of hypnobirthing techniques. So um, I went on to deliver Ellie, really inspired by all the hypnobirthing stuff, went on to train to be a hypnobirthing teacher. And then I began to teach families um how to kind of work with with their body uh, in relation to birth so I set up a little well-being business which was just me it was relaxed with Lucy just me on my own trying to help the local community with anxiety depression um did some work around hypnobirthing and then I, I was really reflecting on the situation with Ellie and Ellie's birth and how the techniques had really helped me. So I decided to create a resource because I, I really wanted to try and help the baby loss community because at the time there wasn't really any or, or much support around to help support families through the delivery of a baby that had died. But holistically, it was all very kind of medical. So basically over the last five years since Ellie's passing, I um, eventually created an app, which is a baby loss app. And that's an app to help support families through the delivery of a baby that's passed away. But it's all around kind of holistic hypnobirthing, mindfulness-based techniques, advice. It's full of videos and P3s, um, signposting. There's um, meditation tracks on there. And there's also access to like journaling prompts and um, a community space. So I set all this up under the Ellie's Gift Project in my daughter's memory because Ellie is her name and this is Ellie's Gift. So at the moment, what I'm doing is I, I work as an occupational health nurse and deliver mental health training for managers um, all over the UK. And I also run the not-for-profit organisation, which is Relax with Lucy and Co, because I, I actually expanded and there's more people now, not just myself. And um, and we would describe ourselves as, as offering digital baby loss wellbeing interventions. And we do all that under the underneath the Ellie's Gift Project. So I kind of have two roles. One of them is a, a passion project and the other one is, is my actual job role, which I do enjoy. 
but I, I get a lot of joy out of helping others through the baby loss work that I do. So I was in a similar position. Our um, our eldest, our firstborn, Alex, um, uh, was born early and born sleeping. And I remember when when we found out that his heart had stopped and we were going to have to, well, I was going to have to deliver him and he wouldn't be alive. Obviously, there's that. Well, there's all the emotions, every emotion in the world that goes with that. But I do remember this really strong feeling of, but I don't know how to have a baby. I don't know. I don't know how to physically do it. And it was too early for us to have been to, you know, any NCT classes or anything like that. And I remember thinking, I I can't do this wrong. I've got to do this right. I think the way in which you describe it as, as really scientific is really interesting because it is, it's medical, isn't it? It's like a, it's a medical procedure and there are a whole ream of reasons as to why there needs to, it needs to be medical. But at the same time, that doesn't prevent your birth from, from also being quite beautiful. And I remember talking to a friend of mine who was into hypnobirthing and who'd also lost a number of children. And she said to me, well, you'll just know, like, you'll know, listen to your body. That's what you need to listen to and you'll be okay. Mm -hmm. I remember thinking, I don't even know if that's true, but I have nothing else to go on right now. Like, that is it. That is the only advice that I have. So let's, let's roll with it. And actually, after we had Alex, I was amazed at the feelings that, like, I was so proud of myself. For having done, like probably the most proud I've ever felt. But I'm just like, yes, I listened to my body and my body has done this amazing thing. My body has birthed my child. Like it was huge. It's amazing to to hear you talking about hypnobirthing and how useful it can be when it comes to baby loss. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It was um I think for for myself and Rick, it, it really is the difference of us reflecting on on it in a you know, I wouldn't describe Ellie's birth as a traumatic experience. Um, what I would describe as traumatic was finding out about her heart condition and having to kind of be in that position where we had to make a decision as to whether or not to continue on full term or to be induced earlier. So that for me was the only kind of thing that, I mean, even now as I'm talking, I can feel that in my body because it's it's there. Um, it was, you know, a diff- really difficult traumatic time. But the birth itself, um, because we had done hypnobirthing, we'd been really fortunate to have done it actually earlier than we should have done that. I literally begged this local hypnobirthing teacher to to, um, to start the course early before I found out about Ellie's heart condition because I'd always been really interested in um, using sort of holistic modalities instead of, you know, going down a, a medical route. I'd, I'd done training in meditation in the past and, and I was really sort of into my own relaxation practices so I was really keen to do that when I found out about being pregnant with Ellie. And then I was just so grateful that we'd done that after finding out because I really felt like I had some tools, like a baseline that I could work from. And whilst I knew it was going to be difficult, I felt like I had some control in a situation that I had no control over because I was able to use um, you know, breathing techniques. My husband, Rick, he had learned how he could support me as dad in, in trying to sort of relax me and to try and help stimulate oxytocin and endorphins in my body. We learned how we could use our imagination to, you know, use visualization. Um, we learned how to kind of 
stimulate um, hormones again, which would help reduce pain, you know, to kind of help promote comfort. And and whilst, you know, obviously I didn't, it wasn't a walk in the park, of course it wasn't, but the, when, when we feel scared, the way that anxiety works in the body is, you know, if you think about when you're anxious, everything tenses up, everything, including the muscles of the uterus. So if your body's trying to do something and you're resisting and working against it and not working with it, it's going to make that experience much more difficult than, say, if you kind of maybe turn towards it more, learn how to go with it, welcoming the contractions in, etc. feel really grateful for that. It's interesting that you say that. I, I remember years ago, well before I, um, I thought about having children, a long time before that, and I interviewed a lady called Sheila Kitzinger, who sadly has passed away since, but she was absolutely at the forefront of putting women first when it came to birthing. And she was a big childbirth campaigner and a feminist and was really influential in changing the culture, really, surrounding women and birth. Um, and she was quite a character. And I remember talking to her about birth and the way she described it, is she said, if you medicalised sex in the way that you medicalise birth, no woman anywhere would have an orgasm. Like it wouldn't happen <laughs> if you were in a room and all these people were shouting like in, out, like it wouldn't happen. And she was saying it's one of the contributing factors as to why women have births that they're not comfortable with because it's treated as a procedure rather than treated as an expression of the human body and the body knows what it's doing. And so it's really interesting to hear you talking about it in, in, in the same, you know, in the same way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and that certainly is, you know, that's what kind of encouraged me to 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 do the work that I now do because I really felt like you know what why should why should families who are experiencing the worst possible thing in their life be exempt from this you know what why should why should they not have this education which everybody else who who goes on to have you know healthy normal babies and, and they, they get offered this but why do families who have been told that isn't going to be the case don't get offered this so I really wanted to make a change there and thankfully, somebody listened in the NHS. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so it's 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 actually um, being trialled at St Mary's Hospital in the NHS. Um, and it's being kind of promoted by um, Professor um, Alex Hazel at Tommy's um, and Victoria Holmes at, at St Mary's Hospital. And they can see that, you know, it's, it's really needed. And so far, I mean, I receive messages all around the world from people to just to say thank you. Just thank you for making my birth experience you know something which was a little less traumatic you know thank you for that and it just fills my heart up because I think well when I set out on this mission to do this I just wanted to make just a few people feel a little bit better and and let alone kind of where the app reaches to it even surprises me sometimes I'm like oh my gosh it's got to Dubai <laughs> what happened <laughs> um and, and you know I'm, I'm really proud of that and um and it means I get to say Ellie's name every day. So that's um, that brings me a lot of joy too. I think what you've done is is phenomenal it's, and it's made such a difference. And just what you were saying about giving people control in a situation where they don't have overall control, something has happened that they can't change, but you can change how you respond to it and you can change what you surround yourself with and who you surround yourself with and how you deal with that thing that you can't control yeah. um, and also you're giving professionals the tools to be able to create that atmosphere 
to enable parents to take more control. And I think that combination is is just magic, isn't it? To be able to do both of those things at a time that's so challenging. Yeah, um, and in and and as well, you mentioned the the professional aspects of it. This stuff isn't necessarily always taught in in this this way. And I think it's about kind of sometimes it's about bringing in something that that is a known thing but then creating it in a new way if that makes sense you know hypnobirthing has been around for years but has has anybody thought about it to apply it to this situation for me something that hypnobirthing gave me was that that kindness I think when thinking about myself and my feelings and that is something that is so useful (laughs) Not just for in that moment when you are having a baby, but as grief grows, as times move on and we find our way of of living with this this grief, keeping that kindness towards ourselves really is at the forefront. And that can be used in many different ways. We talk to a lot of parents at Sands and support them in, in many different ways. But I think a really important part of well-being and self-care is just acknowledging that you're carrying a lot. And I think that's a really important thing that we do with our bereavement support services team, just acknowledging the amount that bereaved parents are carrying on a day-to-day basis. And if all you can do is remember that and give yourself the credit for doing that, I think that can really help. But also just small things that you can do that will make a difference. And I think we all know they make a difference. I was laughing the other day about the fact that um, I was in a meeting and I'd sort of lost my vocabulary. And uh, I went away and I did literally five minutes of stretching and I drank some water. And lo and behold, (laughs) I was able to function much better in the next (laughs) meeting. But, you know, if someone had told me to go away and do that, I'd have resisted it with every fibre in my being, which is just, (laughs) you know, we're not very good, are we, at prioritising self-care, even though we know what we need to do. And I think when you're newly bereaved or having a really difficult time and you make contact with SANS, there are lots of things that we can do to help support and that might be having a call with us but it equally might be just looking on the website um, or looking on our social media and seeing the kind of things that are available so one of the ideas that you can uh, take with you is is just getting over the front doorstep and I think for for um newly bereaved parents especially but not just newly bereaved parents if you're having a bad day just getting over the threshold being outside is a really big step. And in order to get over the doorstep, to have a task um, to accomplish can be really helpful. And it's particularly helpful if you're having a very bad day with lots of negative self-talk or stuff going around in your head that you just need respite from. So one of the things we sometimes suggest is that you pick a colour and you take your phone and you just look for anything of that colour. So orange, um, you know, there might be street signs, uh, there might be someone's curtains, um, dandelions. You about taking a photo of those, though. Yeah. <laughs> Without looking slightly yeah. strange. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the side of a lorry, you know, there are lots of things. And we find that if you focus on a task like that, it just enables your brain to calm down a bit and stop mm. that sort of chatter that can be really stressful and quite incessant. Um, 
So taking a photo of something that's the same colour or you pick a topic and you go and find as many things associated with that topic as you can. And that can be in five minutes if that's all you've got, or it could be an hour, an hour and a half if you've got longer. And I guess just we we know that the benefits of nature and being out in the wild are, are legion. Um, but even if you're, you don't have kind of a wild space near you, um, literally just looking at the patterns in nature. So trees along a street and the repeated patterns are called fractals. And just by looking at those calms the brain and produces a serotonin yeah. response. So that could be looking at a dandelion growing in a pavement. It could be looking at even the scruffiest of street trees. Um, they have very similar patterns and repeating patterns. And it's those that in nature create that feeling of well-being that we get when we're outside and just looking at things. So it's just worth going out and finding something um, to, to look at, however small it is. So I guess it's then really sort of trying to find ways just to refocus the mind. Absolutely. Because I think it's it's so stressful when your mind is full and inevitably as humans we add that marvellous layer of self-judgment on top of everything as well. So oh. we're having a bad day. So let's beat ourselves up about it as well and judge ourselves for having a bad day and for thinking the things we're thinking. And just breaking out of those thought patterns is really helpful. It, it's funny how much we berate ourselves at times of hardship. And I think you look at, you know, losing a baby. And I remember feeling really guilty for staying in bed for, I don't even know how long, you know, I, I got out of bed and I got, I did do exactly as she said, I got into nature, but there was a period of time where that is what I needed. And yeah, I felt really guilty. Like, oh no, I won't admit this to anyone. I won't tell anyone that I'm finding life so hard at the moment that even sitting upright on a sofa seems too soul-bearing that actually curtains shut and in my own bedroom is the only option. Maybe it was about it's okay not to be okay. And that's one of the things I think that we can reassure people about at Sands is that it's okay to have those days and we get it. And we can also help if you're feeling like there are too many of those days as well and that you want ideas for moving gently into something else. I was talking to a mum the other day who said when, when they were going through grief, they had an elder son and they said, oh, you know, for about three weeks, every single day, I felt like such a terrible parent. I just sat with him on the sofa and we just watched telly all day. You know, what an awful thing to do. And there's this pressure that we put on ourselves to be this perfect parent. And actually what we need to be is this good enough parent who's you just you're just doing enough. You're doing you're doing all right because actually, in that moment of you trying to deal with your grief and trying to help your son with his grief, and you were together and you were snuggled, and you you know he, he knew that he had you and you had something to watch, and you fed him and you you know watered him and yeah. you know you looked after him. And that but you know that's enough. That, it, that's enough. It absolutely is, and probably looking back that you know, that will be a really treasured memory for him too. You know, mm. those lovely days when mum was just sitting with me on the sofa. And yeah, we we put way too much pressure on ourselves to be perfect. And Instagram culture doesn't help, I don't think. Um, but yeah, good enough, being a good enough human or a good enough mother or a good enough father is is such an important 
important lesson, I think. It's about kind of just allowing yourself to be exactly as you are. Um, You know, we spend a lot of time trying to push things down, trying to put things in a box, you know, trying to our emotions, trying to pack it away. Um, ignore it. We might try to numb ourselves with alcohol or, you know, maybe smoke too much or eat too much. But ultimately all it does is it just kind of, um, you know, presses pause for a little bit, not for very long. And usually it comes back with a vengeance. So allowing emotions to happen when they're there, bringing them, kindness for what you're what you're experiencing I mean kind real kindness for yourself as well because there isn't a wrong or right way to feel in relation to baby loss because you feel as you feel you know you do you that that's your your emotions that's your response um so it's about kind of just allowing that to be there um bringing in kindness for yourself and then also as well just looking after yourself you know there's things that we can and can't control we can't control what's on the media but we can definitely stop watching tv or we can definitely stop listening to things that are making us feel sad i'm really big on my digital diet i i'm shocking i can honestly say i have got no idea what's going on in the world no idea i know the queen's passed away i know that um but my husband literally drip feeds me the news because i can't deal with it it's too much it's too sad it's too depressing so um, I'll make a note, I'll make, make it a, a real um, kind of practice where I'm like, no, I'm not reading, I'm not reading the newspaper, I'm not watching the news. I'll only listen to things that uplift me, that make me feel good because it can affect how I feel. And, and especially when you are grieving, whether that's new grief or old grief, it can be triggering. Things can be triggering. So, you know, coming off social media, if it's too much, come off it. Stop watching things that are making you feel sad. Just try to create this um almost it's a little bit like the hypnobirthing I guess because in hypnobirthing we talk about creating this kind of bubble where there's like no negativity you know we're just bringing in positive vibes and the same can be said when we are grieving when we're hurting because if you think about as well a wounded animal when a wounded animal um you know we always talk about the topics of sleep and what we eat so for example with sleep um around this time you know, when you are grieving, sleep can be massively disruptive, massively. Um, so things like just making sure that you've got a good sleep routine in place. If you think about um, a plane landing, yeah, a plane hopefully doesn't drop from the sky. It needs time to descend down and slow down and rest. Um, so so kind of, you know, it takes time to land a plane and, it, and it's the same with our body. We need time to wind down to rest. So there's lots of sort of advice around sleep. I mean, I, I usually educate on sleep for a full hour, but things like the Mind website have really good sleep hygiene tips on there. Um, caffeine is a huge thing as well in relation to the way that we feel. Caffeine can make us feel quite shaky, um, quite on edge, quite agitated. And a lot of people don't know that caffeine has a half-life of six hours. So that means that if you have a cup of coffee at lunchtime, it's still in your system at six o'clock in the evening. And it has a quarter life of another six hours. So again, at midnight, it's still going to be in your system. And some people say, well, you know, I have caffeine all the time um, and I sleep absolutely fine. But what happens when we sleep is we move through different levels of sleep at different stages, deeper stages, lighter stages. And the caffeine impacts um, our body's um, ability to do that effectively. So we end up not really accessing the, the deeper levels of sleep that we need. So things like just being mindful of your your diet, what you're eating or what you're not eating, because regularity is important as well, because what we eat has a direct impact in relation to how we feel. Um, And also, um, 
Things like, you know, journaling can be helpful to kind of ventilate thoughts, feelings, emotions. Uh, really, really good. In fact, there is a journaling prompt on the Ellie's Gift app as well. And you can track your mood with a weather state. And that can be good because sometimes when you are in grief, it can feel like every day is a griefy day. But when you look back at a diary, you can see that actually Wednesday wasn't a griefy day. It was all right, Wednesday. But when you're on Friday and you're completely drowning, you're like, I'm always like this. I can't, I just can't move forward. And it's not like that. So tracking the way that we feel mm-hmm. is is a good um, a good kind of tip as well, just to keep a check on that. Um, reaching out for support through others, connecting with other people in the baby loss community, that feels like something you want to do. But then also giving yourself permission to completely check out as well. And also letting friends, family, um, even you work, you know, even letting your work know, it, you know, it's just been baby loss awareness week. Um, I'm really, really zonked out from it. I just feel emotionally drained. Can can we bring in some work adaptations if needed, please? Because I'm just really struggling to do my role at the minute. It's all about communication where possible. I was reflecting on a few things and the journaling, I think, is so helpful, isn't it? And recording how you're feeling and reminding yourself that you don't always feel like this because it can be so easy just to feel completely overwhelmed. Yeah, it's like with anniversaries I suppose as well isn't it you know there's something so lovely about all coming together and having that community sense and being able to share the stories and then there is that moment afterwards where you're just back to reality yeah and I love the term you used about your digital diet (laughs) and um, yeah just giving yourself permission because I think things like baby loss awareness week you really want to talk about your baby you really want to be able to raise awareness and make a difference in it so we do try to um, support people to step away from social media and to just be kind to themselves in the few days after or the weeks after baby loss awareness week as well and acknowledge the fact that when the attention is suddenly removed from baby loss as well that can feel quite strange afterwards monitoring your digital input and output is really important too it was really interesting as well how you were you were talking about um modifications so when it comes to you know doing mindfulness if you can't focus on the breathing you can modify and you can do um and i think that's um that's a really poignant word for me and i think for a lot of people because there's this element of do you know what this is what we should be doing and if we're not doing that then we're not doing it right so whether that is we should be back at work and be normal and be exactly as we were because if we're not doing that we're not doing it right whether it is i should be filling in that journal every single day mm. before i get up and if i haven't done it for a day well then i've ruined it and i'm not doing it right yes. but the idea of actually modifications and and modifying things yeah that's the right way to do it sort of just takes all that pressure off of this sort of idea of perfection or of being yeah. something or someone and that you ought to be and just gives you a bit of that freedom and a bit of that choice back yeah absolutely I think it's really important I mean this and as you were talking there I was thinking about my own experience this morning so I I, I really um, enjoy going to the gym so but my gym time is the morning time because in the evening time I am not doing a spin class like that is just not me I just don't don't do that (laughs) (laughs) but exercise is a really big part of my mental health so I I've been diagnosed with anxiety so what I there's lots of things I have to do to keep my mental health strong i.e exercise mindfulness eating well limiting my caffeine intake um and 
and, and whilst I know that exercise is good for my mental health, I also enjoy it. Now, this morning, my alarm went off and I slept through my alarm this morning. Um, and what I could have done is I could have got up and kind of, you know, been quite horrible on myself, like, oh, why have you not done that? You know, you, you should have gone to the gym. You've just been lazy. You could have got out of bed and everything else that my brain would, could have said. And I can, I could feel that that critical part of myself coming in. But what? But through the mindfulness practice, there was that awareness of here we go again. Yeah, these these thoughts. And what I decided to do instead was to run a bubble bath and uh, put some music on and have a morning coffee in the bath this morning. It was about quarter to seven, so it was just a wonderful day to start. Wonderful way to start the day off, and it made such a difference. And it was all about just that modification of that you know giving myself permission not to meet my own goals all the time like I had set a goal to go to the gym but hey it didn't work and I needed sleep instead so and I chose to bring some self-care and compassion in. It's interesting there that you mention exercise and, and physical activity because I think that's something that sans create a lot of outlets for really through various challenges that, that they do we just think that's so important that you have that opportunity and almost an excuse or a, a reason to get outside and do I don't know a walk or a cycle or one of the challenge events and recently we had a dog walking one so that's very functional you get your dog walk done and you get sponsored for it but equally you're doing it in memory of your baby so it's an opportunity to post on social media it forces you to go out because I think it can be really difficult in those early days to find the courage to leave the house. And so if you're suddenly doing a sponsored, whatever it is that you're doing, it's like, right, I've set myself this challenge. I therefore, I will achieve it. I will take the dog out. I will take the dog out. I will take the dog out. Mm -hmm. And before you know it, those trips become easier because they do get easier. We had a beautiful letter from a mum, and it's really stayed with me for a long time, who said she signed up for the challenge in the really, really early days, and it got her out of the house, and it made her cross that threshold. But she said she had no idea in that 30 days what a difference it was going to make to her mental health as well, and her journey. And I just found that so reassuring and so encouraging that we should continue to do these events, which are a really unique combination, because the community that grows up around the events as well, they provide such extraordinary peer support to each other. It's so heartening and, yeah, just so supportive. So it's it's a lovely combination um, and something that is really valued by many, many people. Now, sadly, that is about all we have time for today. If you want more information on anything we've spoken about today, you can find it in our show notes. Lucy, thank you so much for chatting to us. There is just one more thing we'd like from you, and that's that we like to end our episodes by asking our guests about their hopes for the future. My hopes for the future is that I recognise a lot that people who've experienced baby loss, sometimes if, if time's passed and it's been a long time, that there's almost people don't think it's okay to grieve anymore like they've not got a right to and I think my hope for the future is that that message of baby loss is baby loss no matter what type of baby loss it was no matter when it happened you can grieve for the rest of your life everybody's welcome in these spaces Voices of Baby Loss is an under the mast creative audio production